Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen on the 15th of December. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today as well as tomorrow. Carmen will be back on Friday and looking forward to that. And we have been in the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 15, this morning, both at the top of Hour 1 and at the bottom of Hour 1. You might want to go back and catch the first hour on MyFaithRadio.com as part of the podcast when you have a moment because we are talking about the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15 and what we can learn from that story related to one of the more difficult issues of our day, and that is how do we handle things right now in this current climate of LGBTQ that is deeply impacting so many of us as grandparents and as parents, as sons and daughters, aunts and uncles. I think most of us, if we had a chance to chime in here on Faith Radio, we can name any number of people for whom this is a very difficult, confusing and puzzling Issue, And we were talking earlier in the program about the idea that we have an understandable impulse to want to say to people, stop, just stop, don't, don't, don't. But I think the more that we've tried to do that, the more that we've been pushing people away. And and, and Luke 15 gives us a really interesting picture into the heart of God, who, of course, wills that none would perish. Uh, His love for his people is greater than we can even possibly imagine or exhibit ourselves. But in the story of the prodigal son, the father then finally does say, okay, son, I'm going to let you go. You, you can walk towards that. And, and as hard and as, as, as gut-wrenching as that is, because the day-to-day of that is exactly that. It's hard and it's gut-wrenching and it's sometimes hard to sleep at night and, and there is worry and concern. All of those things are at the table. But if we've learned anything in God's kingdom, we do know that God never gives up. And so we see in that story the posture of the father whose eyes are always out on the horizon, and uh, when his son ends up in sort of the both the actual but the metaphorical pigsty of the decisions that always happen when something is inconsistent with God's kingdom, when it, when it plays out over a period of time, it just does not end well. There's only one kingdom that will remain. And when that moment happens, and it is going to happen, there can be a turn. And in that moment, we learn a lot from the posture of the father who doesn't just stand back with folded arms and say, see, I told you so. The father in that story, when he sees his son begin to return on the horizon and his son is sheepish and doesn't know if he has a place and doesn't know if he belongs, the father makes it very clear in moment one about where that son actually belongs. And he runs towards his son. And in that time, a Jewish father would never run towards their children because it was a very shameful thing to do. They did not have undergarments underneath their flowing robes. And so to run would cause the robes to fly up all over the place and be very embarrassing and shameful for the father. And in that, we see the unashamed love of the father of heaven for all of his children that does not care or is not concerned uh, with his own sense of pride. He is willing to give it all up in order that his sons and daughters would be restored and they have a party and kill the fatted calf. And in in that, we see the great restoration. 
So take some solace this morning in the confusing parts of the situation. This is not the first time in which we've seen gender blurring run rampant in a given society or culture. Uh, It's happened over these past thousand, two thousand years. It always eventually comes to an end. And it's our job as the beautiful people of light to stand with our eyes on the horizon and be ready to run towards and welcome and restore and kill that fatted calf. And, uh, And there will be a return someday. Well, up next, we'll be joined by Billy English, who is a great friend of the program, BibleInBusiness.com. Bill does a great job talking about the business headlines. And oh, boy, were there a few of them in this last year trying to deal with the disruption of COVID, inflation, supply issues, all of these things. Bill will give us a recap of what we've seen in this past year, and we'll look forward to 2022 together as well. So stay with us here on Mornings Without Carmen. About 10 minutes past the top of the hour here on the 15th of December. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today and joined by Bill English in studio. You can see his work at BibleInBusiness.com. Bill has also been writing some books. He has another book he'll be releasing mm-hmm. next year that we'll talk about in a little bit. Bill, good morning. Great to have you in studio. Yeah, it's good to see you. You know, you're the guy I come into studio for. I just I, want you to know, you and Paul. I am deeply honored by that. <laughs> uh, the friendship he threw over that the years. in at the end. And Paul. He did. <laughs> I'm here every week. I, I do admit it did sound a bit like an addendum, Paul. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll have thanks. some in-house therapy here in just a little bit. But oh, Bill, I want to say, I went to the store, Bill, this last week, and I, I'm sure I'm not alone in all of this, yeah. but my favorite box of cereal had skyrocketed from somewhere, if I can get it on discount for maybe two ninety nine. suddenly there was a five in yeah. front of that number, and not just a low five, it was $5.79. Yeah. So all of these headlines about inflation, uh, which we are seeing, it's actually real, and it's not a small amount. Stuff is skyrocketing. What is going on here? Well, what's going on is that we have too many dollars chasing too few goods. Mm. Um, you know, now, now this is the Say mac- that again. I've never heard it said that way, the supply-demand thing. Say that again. Yeah. That was really helpful. Too many dollars yep. chasing too few goods. That makes sense to me. So um, go back to, uh, say, December of 2007. Okay. Okay, because this is really a 14... 14- 14-year run, in my estimation, anyways. Go back to two. The money supply then was $1.3 trillion in our economy. This is according to the St. Louis Fed. Okay. All right? Yeah. Today, it's over $20 trillion. Really? That's, so almost a, a 15-ish fold increase in the amount oh, of yeah. available money. That's, yeah. a, that's, that's an amazing amount. And that's that's both Obama and Trump yep. and now Biden. And this just is. This means the government is flooding our society with money, with basically. free money. Got it. And okay. everybody likes free money in the short term. But the reality is, the more of something that you have, the less valuable each individual item of that something becomes. And so the buying power of the dollar is going down. Mm. Therefore, prices are going up in order to get the same buying power when you buy something. So is what you're describing, is that why we're seeing what we're seeing with some of the supply chain issues? Because in the last seven to eight months in the business that I own, we do quite a bit of domestic work, but we also do quite a bit of international work where do, we, do we produce our goods. Do you source out of Asia? We do source out of Asia. And so the, the goods, obviously, they don't just float on their own. I mean, no. You can't just zap them over to the United <laughs> States. You've got to put them in these gigantic 40-foot containers that then get put on vessels. And the cost of those containers to ship... Uh, goods on a 40-foot basis uh, maybe 18 months ago was somewhere in the neighborhood of five to $6,000. 
But in the last year or so, I, I find myself up in the middle of most nights, even just trying to get space for a container because you have to decide within 15 minutes if you want that container. And if you do, you have to be able to um, pay somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty to $25,000 for the same goods that are at about $6,000. And literally, I have to be up at 3 or 4 in the morning on social messaging sites with, with vendors from Asia saying yes or no in that time. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, no, just I, I, yeah, I, I, I was on and inadvertently turned off. My yeah, mic. I mean, it's been so. This is part of, it, and that's because there's so much money in the United States of America and in Europe that's flooding right. in. So such demand for these goods, and there's such few supply. There, there's the infrastructure globally was not prepared to handle this demand, and so I don't. Everything I'm seeing is there's not any end to this anytime soon. Do you no. see anything different? No, I don't, because uh, to my way of thinking, these other companies like in Asia, they um, they know that they can get more out of the United States now, so right. they're just going to raise their prices and get the money. The thing is, eventually this, uh, this inflation is going to hit the entire world because most of the um, <clears throat> central banks <clears throat> around the world are tied to our central bank. Right. And, and that's why the dollar really runs the value of economies around the world. Um, I don't see this changing anytime soon. Yes, COVID did present some hiccups in the supply chain. Those hiccups still exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also this idea of more money, just raw dollars floating around the world, and that's going to drive up prices. Well, and I think for a while, Bill, before this inflation happened, that there were a lot of ministries in the United States that began to experience the benefit of of greater financial giving because people were awash in cash in ways that maybe they hadn't been in all this free money, and they turned around and gave it to a lot of different ministries, there was some benefit. But I think what we're probably going to see here in the next year or two is as people now have to actually spend more money on bacon or bread or milk or just uh, common goods, there, there's not going to be the discretionary cash to be able to then give to ministries. I think that there's a financial reckoning coming in on, on some level oh, yeah. because you you just... Ten dollars it goes a long ways if your if your milk is three dollars it goes way less if it's five dollars and now you have less money to give to other things and so there there is some interesting times coming I think well and that's assuming that your income as an individual doesn't go up we're seeing right. we're seeing incredibly uh, incredible upward pressure on wages in the company that I run it's a healthcare company about six hundred employees it's about twenty four million a year in revenue and we're seeing. Um, uh, employees come back and ask for 10, 15, oh, for 20% sure. wage increases. I'd love to give it to them. I can't. And they're able to get it elsewhere. Um, and an example of this is I know of a nurse who is leaving one of the hospitals here in, in, in uh, Minneapolis, going to another hospital. And she has been offered a, a bonus if she stays at that new hospital for two years of $40,000. $40,000? $40,000 at the end of the two years. Um, now, that's not our company. It's not our nurse. But we couldn't even begin to compete with that. We just have to say, God bless you. You know, you better take that because that's a great deal for you. Is there a labor shortage in the ways that I'm hearing about it? Or is it simply people are sitting back and saying, hey, I have enough government money coming in. I don't want to do that. So the wages have to keep increasing because I'm seeing the same thing that you are, Bill. My employees have come to me, understandably so. Their cost of living has gone up so substantially. And to your point, 
we're not doing two to three percent raises. We can't, or else we're going to lose them. And they're very good employees. We're, we're forced to do something much different than that related to this. Do do we see a labor shortage? Because I don't want to have to go out and try to hire somebody right now. Yeah, the labor force participation rate is about as low as it's ever been. It, this is a head scratcher for me. It is to me too. That's because what I'm we've you. got all these open jobs sitting out there, and we've got all these people sitting on the sidelines. And you would think that they would get married up a little bit, and and we'd see the labor force participation rate go up. I think COVID has taught people, a number of people, that they can probably live on less and have a better quality of life just by being home a lot more. Um, How they're making it financially, don't ask me. I don't understand it. I know that I couldn't um, you know, stay home and earn the living that I'm earning. I have to go to the office. Right. And I have to work. So is, is, uh, is, you know, wagers are going to go up. Pricing's going to have to go up. Are we going to hit a new equilibrium at some point? I hope so. But with a producer price index at 9.6 now, which is really the inflation rate for wholesale goods, uh, if that's at 9.6, my, my guess is that the end uh, retail inflation rate is also going to hit closer to 10%. Now, is Biden to blame for this? Maybe some, but so is Trump, right. and so is Obama, and so are the Republicans in Congress, and so are the Democrats. This is a this is a national problem. We keep electing these yahoos back into Congress thinking that they're going to do anything different, and, and, and they don't. And yeah. this is really a problem that we, the people, have created for ourselves. Yeah, I think that's well said, uh, Bill English. Let's step away for just a moment, take a break. But to your point on that piece of it, I'm not at a Biden apologist. I'm not. I just. I'm yeah, not I'm that not much either. of a political person, quite frankly, because I don't find a lot of hope in that in that realm. But <laughs> yeah, but no but kidding. politicians are nothing if not opportunists, and so I think yeah. to, to to blame Biden Biden just sort of thoughtlessly about this price increase stuff. I think at the ground level, there's a lot more going on than just political policy. So Bill English is with yeah. us here. Yeah, and yeah studio this morning on Mornings Without Carmen. We'll be back in just a minute. We'll talk a little bit more about the impact of COVID on our economy and what we see for 2022. Welcome back to the show. We're chatting with Bill English about different dimensions of our economy, but looking both backwards in 2021 and also looking forwards to 2022. And Bill, Talking about remote work a little bit, I was talking with a good friend of mine that's been pretty high up in the financial industry for the better part of 40 years, and uh, and he says he doesn't have to go down to the office anymore to do his work, and so cities have really been, not. there's been a lot of social unrest in cities too, but the combination of social unrest and COVID has really gutted our cities yeah. as, a, as a population center, mm-hmm. and as a result, we're seeing prices for office space crater, and people don't need office space anymore. Subsequently, we're seeing prices of warehouses go through the roof. We were just trying to build a warehouse in our own business, and Bill, it was it was more expensive to build a warehouse than it was to build a custom home in terms of the cost per square foot. It was just stunning to see how expensive things are. Well, was, but was it more expensive than the West Wing on your house that, that you just put on just recently? That's what I want to know. Well, yeah, you know, the reason that, that was expensive is I got my hands involved in that. And oh, let's okay. just say I'm not a master builder. So it was, it was <laughs> turned out to be more a rehabilitation project than an actual project. But yeah, yeah it's just it's, it, the costs are everywhere. And we're going to be feeling it for a while. And I just want to go back to a point that you and I talked about is at some point, um, in, in the disruption that's going on within Christendom right now, okay? I mean, b- churches have functioned so often as a business, I think, to their great detriment. And you and I have talked about that uh, so often over these years, that churches are not meant to be businesses, but they function that way and they have economic and financial realities. And I think as the economy starts to tighten up where people can't afford 
just the normal things in life anymore. I think those those ministries that are, are dependent as businesses on people's donations and giving, there, there's going to be some interesting reckoning coming forward, and I think it's going to reshape ministry and in the future some of these financial pressures. Yeah, the <clears throat> so a couple of thoughts there. First of all, people whose heart is aligned with the Lord are going to continue to find ways to give. They will, for okay? sure. Okay, because giving is always a heart issue. It's not a financial issue. Secondly, I think there's a lot of elder boards and pastoral staffs who are really feeling the crunch. And part of it is because they have not been faithful in teaching the entire counsel of God Agreed. regarding stewardship. And so my encouragement to pastors and elder boards around within our listening audience, wherever you happen to be right now, is that you've really got to face into stewardship and giving and tithing on a regular basis, not uh, just always tie it to the missions or and just not ignore it. And I would also say that the pastors and the elders have to be tithing themselves. We know that we know of a number of pastors who never tithe. Right. And so when they get up to preach on tithing, it just, it just doesn't work. It, it's an, it's a mental exercise, not a heart exercise. So our, our, um, <clears throat> our church is going to feel the crunch. Yeah, I think so. Unless, and I'm going to say this, unless they are faithful in teaching stewardship and the people's hearts are receptive to hearing it and the people are obedient to God, because I believe that God will supply everybody's needs uh, for whatever he has called them to do. God always funds his call if people are obedient to him. Yeah, I think some of the the sea change that is in process right now related to that too is that churches are likely to be moving back more towards a first century kind of model where believers are yeah. together and they're pooling their resources together more than just having these gigantic paid staffs that are creating products to try to give towards. Uh, that, that season is coming to an end, and I think there's going to be a sharing of resources that is part of the counsel of God in terms of what you're describing. Yeah, I, in fact, um, um, I think that... Uh, churches are going to left and right have to really face into into a biblical model of economics rather than depend on a Keynesian model or an Adam Smith model. Mm, that's really, really, there's a lot there in what you just said. Now, <laughs> and actually, you should write a book on that. I know that you've, you've discovered your ability to write books, and you yeah, published I one in the, in the last year or so. That's been great. You've got a second one coming up that's going to be released, my understanding, in February of 2022. So tell us what we can expect from this book. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I am. I'm looking forward to getting it birthed. So I believe to speak. that. I believe that. <laughs> so it's under review right now. <clears throat> the rough drafts are written. And um, it, this is a book, on, it's called The 30 Sayings of Wisdom for Business Leaders. So this isn't a book just for business owners. My first book was a, a Christian theology of business ownership, and it was written only for owners like you, right? right? Very, right. A rather niche audience. This one's a much wider audience of those who lead in business, whether they own, whether they're in for-profits, whether they're in corporate America, nonprofits, whatever. And I've taken the 30 sayings of wisdom from Proverbs twenty four seventeen through the end of chapter 24, those 30 sayings, and I've applied them to how we uh, live those out in the business world as business leaders. So, so can you tee one of these up for me? I mean, I know it hasn't been published yet, Bill, but I'm looking for just, I'm looking for a little sneak preview into one of these sayings. Uh, sure. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll just be in, in, in uh, Proverbs 24, verse 30. Okay, okay, great. I went past the field of the slugger, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns came up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. The stone was in ruins, so forth and so on. And I talk about diligence and competence and how we have to have both of those elements 
as leaders in the business. It's just not enough for us to delegate. We really have to be good at something mm. in order to have respect and credibility and to lead well. Because when you're leading a team or a line of business, whether you're a, a manager, a lead, a director, a VP, a C-suite, you have to be competent at what you do in order for people to respect you well enough uh, to follow your lead. Yeah, let's stay with that for the last couple of minutes we have together. Sure. Does competence within God's kingdom, is that different in some ways than perhaps competence according to an MBA program from, say, you know, London School of Business or the University of Minnesota? Is, is there a competency within kingdom life that those those characteristics, they may intersect? I'm watching you kind of puzzle over this as I'm asking the question, so I'm extending the question out of it. But but do you, do you see a different kind of competency required to lead Christian organizations and or even just the people of God that's different than than secularized principles well for Christian business owners it still is a Christian organization even though it might be a for-profit business mm-hmm. so you're a business owner you're still leading a Christian organization because it's under the authority and the rule of God and I outlined that in my theology book for business owners um, to me there's you, there's there are people who have natural abilities uh, to lead, right? Right. Uh, but when they come under the power of the Holy Spirit, then they're able to lead in a way that moves the kingdom forward, as opposed to moving a business forward that may actually be opposed to the kingdom. Uh, secondly, um, the leadership that we give in business, uh, in uh, whether it's for-profit business or ministry, if it's under the prayer and the direction of God, then I think we're able to do something very unique, and that is combine the two. Mm. We're able to create wealth for the kingdom of God to help fund the forward movement of the kingdom. I love that, Bill. Well, the time runs so fast with you, but what you just said about the idea, I think we have such a thin theology of our engagement with the Holy Spirit as a way of empowering these things in unique different ways, then no business principle can come around. So I would love for you to keep writing these books, Bill. I I think they're incredibly important. This time goes too fast. I appreciate all the wisdom and insight. It's great to see you in studio here as well. We'll take a short break for some bottom of the hour news and talk in the second half of this hour with Felicia Masonheimer, her book, The Flirtation Experiment, about how to create some more romance in your marriage. Well, it's been fun to talk about our great giveaway initiative at Faith Radio and Intentional Acts of Kindness. When we are kind in unusual situations, it creates a bit of disruption in the patterns of somebody else's life because it really is unusual in the way that we tend to interact with one another on a day-to-day basis. So we'd love for all of you as part of the Faith Radio family to sign up at MyFaithRadio.com to join up to a 1,000 people or more as part of the great giveaway. And this Friday at 3 o'clock Central Time, Susie and Carmen and Bill are all going to join forces in studio to share some of the stories with you about how some of these acts of kindness have disrupted maybe some people in some really positive and beautiful and light shining ways. So join us again at MyFaithRadio.com and sign up for the great giveaway up next in just a few moments we'll be joined by felicia masonheimer and her book the flirtation experiment and how to create a bit more romance in our marriage and cue up that text line because we have about five copies to give away there has been born for you a savior who is christ the lord this is max locato the greek word used in this verse is kyrios it signifies one who rightfully holds a position of authority. Jesus was born with this title. He has a lawful right to rule over every sphere, star, galaxy, and gulf. 
He is the Lord of legislators, liberators, light bearers, and laborers. He bears the signet of the highest office and wears the insignia of Lord of both the dead and the living. Congress doesn't run the world. Cancer doesn't control your destiny. Death doesn't have the last word. The faceless hand of fate isn't directing history. The Lord Jesus is. You have a Lord to lead you. Welcome back, everyone, to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today and for tomorrow as well. It's about 21 minutes before the top of the hour, and we are delighted to ask uh, Felicia Masonheimer, the author, co-author of The Flirtation Experiment, to join us with the book giveaway that we have. I believe, Paul Perot, we have about five copies of I this book so, that we yeah, can give away. I think so, five on my desk right now. Indeed. So you know the drill. If you listen regularly, you can text the word book to the studio at 877-933-2484. Again, uh, text the word book to studio. Some of you have already done that. I can see you this morning at 877-933-2484 as we talk about The Flirtation Experiment with Felicia. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Well, doing well. Great to have you on the program, Felicia. It's a pretty intriguing book here. Kind of a a little bit of a a catchy title, The Flirtation Experiment. I would think that flirting is usually seen in sort of a negative light and maybe something that some young puppy love people might do with one another. But uh, you're seeing it as a real positive thing within marriage. So tell us a little bit about what went into this book before we get into the actual topics. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I think there tends to be a little bit of a negative connotation associated with flirtation, um, especially in Christian circles. But in marriage, it is flirtation, I think, is often missing from the equation. As we become more familiar with one another, we can lose some of that fun and mystery and spark that we had when we were first dating and first married. And so I noticed that in my marriage about three years ago and did an actual experiment, unbeknownst to my husband, um, (laughs) that (laughs) that he eventually figured out because of how much change it brought to our marriage. And so um, based on that actual experiment that I did, the flirtation experiment book was born. Fascinating. So tell us, if you wouldn't mind, just some examples of this experiment that that you tried out and, and even what you hoped might happen as a result of it. Yeah. So the big thing with this experiment was that I wasn't going into it to change my husband. I knew that I was not in control of what he did or how he acted or thought about our marriage. Even though we had a generally healthy Christian marriage, I knew that I needed to change my mentality and I only had control over my actions. And so I made a list of 30 different ideas for one a day for a month to show my husband that I loved him in different ways. And so some of these were just like those little things that we lose as we get more familiar, like eye contact across the room or telling funny jokes or, um, physical touch, like a hug as you're walking through the kitchen, things like that, that I did just once a day and began to notice that both my heart and mind changed. And then our tone and our attitude towards each other changed as well. So it wasn't anything that was super heavy or super, you know, sometimes it was difficult to do, but it wasn't something that was 
um, maybe more on the deep end of things, but it did transform our marriage in a deeper way. I'm curious, Felicia, what that, again, you talk about transforming your marriage. I'm just thinking about a young couple that I married, oh, somewhere around a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, and they came over to our house this last weekend. And there is not a, a chair that they will not sit on together. It's, it's not a chair for two people, clearly, but they, they cannot be outside of space with one another. And it's just so delightful and fun. And is it a myth to suggest that, granted, it's not every day in marriage is going to be like that. Marriage is filled with rigor and it's difficult and there's long seasons where it's hard. But is it a myth that you could be 15, 20, 25 years married and not still desire to share that chair together? Well, I think that it's it's going to be true if you let it be true. You mm. know, we if we let that happen, then, yeah, that can be our future. And I have only been married almost eight years, but I have many close friends and mentors who have been married 15 and 20 years and looking at their extremely healthy, affectionate marriages, they consistently say it's these daily actions and how you think about your spouse and how you talk to your spouse that create this at year 20. But if you don't do that for those 20 years, or if you don't do it consistently enough to redeem hard years, then you're, you're not going to have what you're hoping for. And so my husband and I, I'm very open in the book, have had a very hard marriage in certain years, and the Lord has redeemed that, but he's redeemed it through our work. And this was one of the things that he used. We're chatting with Felicia Masonheimer this morning. She is the co-author of the book, The Flirtation Experiment. We do have five copies that we can give away. You can be part of the drawing. You just have to text the word book to studio at 877 933 Two four eight four and Felicia, you're talking about some of the hard seasons in marriage. I've been married to Hallie for 26 years, and we're not going anywhere. We're going to be on this journey for a lifetime. But it also has had seasons where it has been difficult. And when you first decided to start this experiment of flirtation, I would think there's some vulnerability in doing that. And if if, if you have some ongoing wounds or some difficulties in your marriage, I would assume it wasn't always easy to engage in flirtation while you also have some of the woundedness going on. Did, did you experience some of the tension of that when you started this experiment? That's a great question. And yes, both of us. Now, obviously, again, the flirtation experiment, the book, and what I did was focused on me as the wife. It wasn't focused on my husband. And so for me to do those actions, there was a level of vulnerability. And because my husband and I have been through a lot together, there it was a little extra hard at times. And what I had to recognize was that love is always a risk, right? And sometimes the risk is me looking a little foolish by telling a joke to bring more fun Mm. to our marriage or to make him laugh. And sometimes the issue was a past wound or a past, you know, fear of, you know, going backwards in our marriage to times that weren't as good. Sometimes the fear was my own pride. I don't want to look silly. I don't want to change things too much because, you know, he might think what's up or he might laugh at me, which he never did. He never (laughs) laughed at me. He's a great guy. But I think there is that just embarrassment at shifting things or the fear if I shift things, you know, can I keep it up? And so there, there was a lot of prayer involved on my part. I have really great friends who champion my marriage, including my co-author Lisa. And so it, I think there's always going to be that risk involved and there will be vulnerability involved. Um, 
that's the process in dating, right? We have to be vulnerable and risky in dating, and then we get married, and we forget that we still have to do that. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's such a good point. Felicia, the texts are coming in fast and furious again. Text in the word book to 877-933-2484. You'll be entered into a drawing to get one of five copies of this book, The Flirtation Experiment. And Felicia, we're going to step away for just a minute. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation about engaging in flirtation with our spouse. And I want to ask you specifically about the possibility of how our relationships change over the years and flirting can take on different kinds of forms and we can kind of stay in this pattern for a whole marriage. So that's up next here on Mornings Without Carmen. Welcome back to the show. It's about 11 minutes before the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge, and we are chatting with Felicia Masonheimer and her book, The Flirtation Experiment. We have five copies that we can give away. And Paul Perot, we've done book giveaways so regularly over the years, right? But there is an unusual response. It is uh, fast and Let's furious. Yeah, than it's fast and furious this morning. So Lisa, or Felicia, clearly you, you, you've tapped in to something here. You've tapped a nerve in terms of how people are probably experiencing their marriages. I think when when we when we come into the light with what's happening behind the scenes i think most people are engaged in a marriage that is maybe all that it's not all that they had hoped for that there that there's difficulty and rigor and you just have a really easy engaging way of starting to turn that tide through this process of flirtation and i'm curious you've been married 8 years that you said and i assume that you and your husband are not the same people that you were when you got married i mean we we change and we grow and we mature and transform and all of these things so you talk about being creative in your flirtation because it does change over the course of a lifetime yeah it does and my husband and i um are opposites on every personality test that exists <laughs> So <laughs> it's kind of funny. We have completely flip-flopped op- uh, love languages, completely opposite personalities. And they say opposites attract, of course, but opposites also bring in, you know, the difficulty of communication. And so over the course of our marriage, attraction to one another has actually gone up and down because of stress, because of distraction, because of miscommunications, and just the sheer fact that we're so different. And so through doing these flirtations and and showing interest and really just thinking about if I met my husband while I was single, like let me pretend I'm single for a second and I was interested in him, how would I express that interest to him? That was my question for myself Mm. because I felt like I have this great husband, this great man in my life. And if I was single, I'd be so excited about that, right? But now that I'm married, we can get into this routine where I'm not showing him that I'm attracted to him or cultivating attraction because I think it does take intention. It's not just always this passive thing. And so I try to bring back some of that thought process. If, If he was, if I was a single woman and this is a great single guy, how would I express interest or reciprocate interest in him? And then bringing that into my marriage. Yeah, I think those are such great questions because not every person is, is made, obviously, in the same way. I am terribly familiar with what you just described, Hallie and I as well, our exact opposites on those personality profiles, so much so that the pastor said, well, you got your test back, and they're, all indications are from the experts that be that you two should not get married. And now he he knew <laughs> us, and so he knew, but but that volatility was there, but the wonder of all of it was there, too. And Felicia, we sat across the dinner table from somebody a few weeks ago that we hadn't met before, and they said, you know, we have never fought once in our marriage. And we just looked at them absolutely mystified. <laughs> their, their, their personality was entirely different than ours. And so getting to know 
the personality of your spouse. Uh, I, I think we, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I think I live in assumptions so often about my wife, Hallie, about how she is going to act and interact. But to have the humility to say, hmm, maybe I don't actually know everything about her. I want to learn more about her so I can effectively engage in these flirtation kind of ways. It's pretty critical to have some humility in this, I would assume. Yes, absolutely. We for sure have to be willing to change and adapt and, yeah, humbly look at ourselves and be willing to say, I'm not always the one who's right or I'm not always the one who knows best. And that is super hard. Hmm. It occurs to me as you're talking, too, that uh, we've been talking all morning from Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son, and we've been tying that into issues of sexuality in our culture, LGBTQ, people walking away from some of the historic understanding of relationship and faith and marriage. And part of that, Felicia, is they don't see a lot of great examples of people who have walked out a, a faithful life of, of beauty and love and, um, and adventure and passion with one another for a lifetime. And so this isn't just to help your own marriage out, which it does do that, your book, The Flirtation Experiment. This also is in some ways actually evangelistic in terms of shining a light and what marriage really can be for people. Yeah, and I think... I think what we often miss is we think that the only way to shine a light on a marriage is for it to be perfect, kind of like your friends that didn't fight. There's right. nothing wrong with that. But most people fight, and most people have really hard seasons in, in their marriage, and that's the case for Josh and myself. And so we're very open and honest about how difficult our marriage has been in order to shine a light on what the Lord has done and how he has redeemed it. I think sometimes when we hide how hard it's been and that people don't see how far we've come with the Lord or how beautiful the covenant is. In the last part of the flirtation experiment, I and Lisa, my co-author, both describe what the product, the long-term product of this kind of intentionality is, and it's healing and covenant and joy. And when we pursue that long-term, we actually do see this beautiful witness in a marriage. And it's not because it was always just perfect and tidy. It's because at some point it was really difficult and messy and the Lord redeemed it. I love that. Well, you can text the word book into studio. We're talking with Felicia Masonheimer and her book, The Flirtation Experiment. Text eight, the word book to 877-933-2484 to be part of the giveaway here. And Felicia, maybe one more question before we have to run. And if, if somebody wants to start engaging in this flirtation experiment, what tips would you have to just get started with it? Well, I would say that first, the book is not requiring a 30-day format. So if that's overwhelming for someone, just do it like at your own pace. But I would also say the book is designed that, to give you ideas based on what we did, but we're offering for you to customize that to your relationship. So be creative with what works for you and your marriage and your personality. And then lastly, for those who grab their book in December, in mid-January, we're starting a flotation experiment book club where we'll be doing it with our entire online community. And anyone can join that with me and Lisa. We'll have weekly Zoom calls to talk it through live with our readers. And then we'll all do it together for a month leading up to Valentine's Day. That's outstanding. Is there a place that people can find you specifically right now as we prepare for that? Yes, you can find me on social media. On Instagram, I'm Felicia Masonheimer. Felicia with a P-H-Y, not with an F. And then I also have my website, FeliciaMasonheimer.com, where my email list will notify people of the book club. 
Yeah, if you need that uh, information as you're thinking about getting this book, you can text that into studio just asking us to spell all of that out for you. Paul and I can do that for you. Felicia, thanks again for taking the time this morning. What a great book and what a great invitation to help bring some health to marriages. Thank you for having me. We'll take a short break and wrap up our show here on Mornings with Carmen for the 15th of January and looking forward to seeing you again tomorrow. Well, Paul, that wasn't actually uh, any, that, that wasn't terrible information. That was so helpful. I just it thought, was. boy, it, it, we talk so often about marriages and we talk so often about relationships. And every once in a while, there's this catalytic intersection of something that, that just be, is accessible. Mm -hmm. that we can do. I mean, any of us can flirt with our spouses that are married and bring back some of that romance. I'm I'm just really captivated by the humility with which she carried herself to say, hey, I can change me. I can't change you. I'm going to bring this to the table and the vulnerability of all of that. I, I am so encouraged that when we bring stuff into the light that is going on in the darkness, and so for so many of us are carrying really difficult things, but boy, you bring it into the light of the kingdom like this, transformation actually can change. It is the one unique part of God's kingdom in that the, the power of sin and death has been conquered. We just got to bring it into the light and start asking for those redemptive resources. And again, I, I want to go back to what you said. I mean, you can't change the other person. That's right. up to God. You just do your part to live faithfully and lovingly. So, Yeah, indeed. Well, great stuff. Well, if you missed any part of the show today, lots of great interviews with people like Ruth Kramer and Bill English, and now, of course, Felicia Masonheimer. You can go to MyFaithRadio.com and catch the podcast. We also talk throughout the show of, from the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 15, and some uh, of the gleanings from the Prodigal Son story and how we can understand our, our, our sexual times of LGBTQ through that Lens. So go to MyFaithRadio.com and you can catch that podcast. And looking forward to joining you again one last day tomorrow in the host chair. We'll continue to fix our eyes on Jesus together, the author and perfecter of our faith. That tomb is empty. There is good news. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.